Amen. Thanks, Joel. That's great. Hey, we're going to be looking from uh, John chapter 13, and uh, we're going to be talking about a subject that is probably one of the most challenging subjects in the Christian walk. So we're in for a challenge here. Uh, this is the third time me sharing this message uh, over the weekend. And, uh, but I sat there and I said, Lord, do you want me to preach something else? Because if you know me, I tend to memorize all my sermons. So the last four sermons I could preach uh, in my mind and just, do you want me to do that? And the Lord reminded me that this is ideal for you. Why is this? Well, the subject that we're looking at and we're thinking about is that whole subject of, of, of being a servant. And moving in his, in his steps and knowing Christ from John's gospel. Are you able to bring up the notes here, Sean? From that, from the sermon. He's, no, he's not coming on the clouds. King will bow down. Every chain will break. I think that's a worship song. Uh, uh, I need this morning's sermon. Enter uh, sermons. John's gospel. And a picture of a dude with a moustache. How's that? Uh, that's good. Thanks, Sean. A round of applause for Sean. He's a, he's a fine young man, isn't he? Yeah, some, some fine young man. Uh, oh, look, a big round of applause. I actually found it. That's fantastic. You know, he's, he's a good pastor. Okay, uh, so John's, we're going to talk about. Uh, John chapter 13, where are we at? In John chapter 13, first of all, we know that, um, that, that what's happened previous to this is that uh, Lazarus was raised from the grave. A momentous miracle. And in the story of Lazarus, there is this profound, it actually is the second smallest verse in the Bible. So I was told last week by somebody that told me that there was a smaller verse. Jesus wept. They found a verse in the Bible that said, he said. That's boring. Uh, so, kick that one. And so, uh, Jesus wept. In that, it says that, that as he looked at Mary and Martha, he was so profoundly moved that he was moved inside and he wept. Literally in the Greek, it meant that Jesus had a spiritual earthquake within his heart, like a horse neighing from the very depths of within who he was. And if you've ever seen a horse neigh, that suddenly there was that, that, that release of the whole body shook and then tears ran down Jesus' face. Remember, he was about to do a miracle. Raised the miracle, but why was he weeping? Why was he shaking? Why was he going through the earthquake? The reason was, very simply, is because when you weep and you're broken and you feel pain and your life is shocked and you crumble, Christ is with you. When your face is wet, his face is wet. He is with you. So he raised um, uh, Lazarus from the dead, and we, we understand that. But then there was a, they want to get rid of him. They want to get a, they want to completely, this is ridiculous. Um, the leader of the, the high priest, uh, Cephas, he'd been high priest for 16 years, wanting to get rid of him. Because first of all, he was a Sadducee. Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection, you see. Whereas the Pharisees did. So this was very embarrassing that he said and preached against resurrection and Lazarus came back from the grave. 
And then they had a meal to celebrate, and 17 of them got together, Simon the leper, and, um, and uh, at his house, and they gathered together. All the apostles were there. They were there gathering and eating together. And then Mary comes in, breaks open the perfume, and, and we see this beautiful combination of Martha making a meal again, and Mary breaking the perfume and being willing to to give everything, her everything to Christ, the great cost, the great cost. She gives everything, the best gifts. You know something? The best place you can be in, in your walk with God, is to give God your best gifts, your perfume. What costs you in life? What costs you there? Then Jesus, in the third sermon I spoke about, and you get, was, was that then Jesus was, was, was then heading towards the cross now, and he teaches about that unless the Son of Man is lifted up, therefore he will draw all men unto him. That great verse before this. And of course, that relates to Numbers chapter 21, where suddenly the Israelites were being bit by snakes and the poison was in their bodies because of their rebellion, because of the way they treated God, because of the way that they treated Moses. Snakes came into the camp and bit them and and there was no hope. And they begged Moses, go and seek the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, make a snake, a bronze snake, lift it up and anybody that has the faith to look at that snake, they will be healed. So they went out and they looked and they were healed. Now, interestingly, Jesus is linking that, that when you've got the faith to look at Jesus Christ hanging upon the cross, the poison of the, of the, of the bite of Satan that has come into humanity is removed and you are free because you look at the Christ who is hanging between heaven and earth. Any poison in your life can be broken by the power of Jesus Christ. I don't know what poison you've got. I don't know what you've been through. So those are the kind of key, key points. And we get to this point in, the, in, the, in John's Gospel, which is the story of the washing of the feet. And this is why I think the Holy Spirit... Uh, compelled me to carry on because some of you are serving at camps some of you have served at camps some of you are involved in the ark and I believe for you this is a message for you and a reminder of our heart this this is Tsar Nicholas the first 1850 he was the Tsar of Russia the richest man in the world he would have been the Bill Gates of the time he was richer than anybody else he's like a medieval ancient king who who owned everything and absolutely everything he's well known because of this one story one of many stories he is Catherine the Great's grandfather uh, grandson actually um, if you know your, your history about this, I mean, that's a bit boring. But uh, let me tell you about this. He had a friend whose son grew up and came of age. And Nicholas I saw this young man and decided to promote him and send him to one of his castles. So there he would be able to serve the Tsar and to serve Russia. Very quickly, he was placed in a position in charge of the accounts of the castle. And while he was in charge of the accounts, he became more and more well-known, but he had a problem. 
And he was had an addiction. And this addiction drove this young man again and again. And this addiction was gambling. And he kept going back to the tables, to the smoke-filled rooms with the cognac and all that was going on. And he wasted his inheritance as a young aristocrat of the Russian people, of this nobility. He wasted all of that. Having wasted his money in gambling and having this terrible addiction, he then turned and started stealing money from the czar and stealing money that was there to run the castle. He stole so much money that one day he knew that an audit was coming and he added it all up on a summer's evening. And as he added it up, he realized that he could never, ever pay back the price and the money that was there. So he decided to do a terrible thing. He took a revolver, he placed it on the desk, he took the accounts, he wrote a long letter... And at the end of the letter, he said, this debt can never be paid. I'm sorry. He planned to kill himself at 12 midnight. Very dramatic moment, very Russian. And he planned to do that. And so, but it was a warm evening and after a while, and he probably had some more cognac, he fell asleep. Now, Nicholas I was strange Because he did something that many of the Tsars never did. He would dress in a common soldier's uniform, go to his castles, walk around his castles and his empire and to see how good a job they were doing. And he would appear in in a common soldier's uniform. That particular evening, he arrived at this great castle and he walked around and saw what was happening, saw what was taking place and he came into the accounts room True story. As he came in, he saw the young man sleeping and instantly he saw the revolver. It was about 2 a.m. in the morning. He looked at the revolver. He read the letter. And as he read the letter, he read the words, a debt that could not be paid. And Tsar Nicholas I did something. He took out a pen and he wrote at the bottom of that suicide letter, I choose to pay your debt, Nicholas I, Tsar of Russia. And he left the room. I guess, I don't know how long later, an hour or so, the young man woke up and he looked around and as he looked at the letter, he noticed the writing on the letter and it said Tsar Nicholas. He he went to the files. Literally, the story is that he took out all of the the signatures that had come from the Tsar. And he he compared them and he realized that it was Tsar Nicholas that had come to his room, had come to his aid. And Tsar Nicholas had said, I pay the debt that you cannot pay. That's an amazing story. It is nothing compared to what Jesus Christ has done for you. You see, for Tsar Nicholas, the richest man in the world, this was an easy move, an easy way of solving this problem. He was the richest man on the planet. But for, for Jesus Christ, he paid the spiritual debt. He was on his way to the cross now. He was going to be nailed to the cross, suspended between heaven and earth. And he would be dying there and he would be paying the debt for man's sinfulness. He would be paying the debt against 
death. He would be paying against all of the evil and all of the pain in the world. And you and I have had a signature now in the Lamb's Book of Life that says your sins are forgiven, your debt are paid, and you and I are freed. Amen? Just think about that. That is the greatest message in the world. And Jesus is heading towards this. But before he hangs on that cross, we... He, he does a remarkable thing. It was just before the Passover feast. This is verse 1. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him. He was aware of his mission and what he was meant to do. To leave this world and to go to the Father. Look at this verse. Having loved his own who were in the world. Just pause there as you look at the scripture. He is saying, in this verse, it's saying that he loved his disciples through their journey in every way. Through the boat trips in Galilee. He loved his disciples in the small villages of the countryside. He loved his disciples when they went on those long walks from region to region. He loved his disciples day after day, moment after moment, in every detail of their lives. This is what this means. He loved those disciples. And that's exactly how Jesus Christ feels about you this morning, this evening. Where am I? That's how he feels about you. He loves you in the detail of your life. He loves you in all that you go through. He loves you in what you face. He loves you in your life. And there's this lovely phrase, love them to the end. In other words, no matter what happens, he is going to love them right to the very end. And no matter what happens... To you and I, one thing I know, however you choose to live your life, the choices that you make is that God's compelling love will love you right to the very end. You are loved by Christ. He loves us. He's so in love with us, so cares for us. And here he says that he will love his disciples right to the very end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon. Iscariot, to betray Jesus. When we think about servanthood, and this message is about this, there are three aspects I want to share with you about servanthood. First of all, a servant is driven by love. Jesus was driven by love. And when you serve, we are called to be driven by love. It's all about love. Secondly, it's that we have the greatest example of the way that we should live our life of service. And that example is Jesus Christ. And thirdly, it is the greatest challenge any one of us will ever do is to seek the journey of becoming a servant to others and a servant to Christ. It's the most profound and the most deep and the most glorious thing that God asks us to do to become like him and to be a servant to other people. But let me tell you something. When you serve others, your marriage is going to be blessed. When you serve people, your homes are going to be blessed. When you learn the heart of the servant, you're going to be blessed in work. Because the way that we live our lives as Christians is that God doesn't call us to pick up the throne. God calls us to pick up the towel. He calls us to serve. Marriages fail because people are all about their rights instead of serving one another. 
It's about service. Everything's about love. This whole chapter's about love. You, you turn over to verse 34. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A new commandment I give you. It's really, really simple. Just get on and love each other. Care for each other. Love each other. Receive a baptism of love for each other. Because you cannot do this Christianity thing without being filled with the love of God. I love the worship this evening. It was, it was virgin on contemplative and closeness and the sense of God's spirit and a holy place. It was really beautiful at that moment. And I know in those moments, I always seek Christ and say, Christ, just fill me with your love. Because it's love that makes the difference. Look at chapter 17. I haven't got the verses here. Don't worry about that. But at the end of Jesus' great prayer, he says in verse 26... I have made you known to them and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Can I say that again? The love the Father has for Jesus may be in them and indeed that I, Jesus' love, may be in you. Can I tell you that the love of God is already in you? You've got to just release it to fill every part of your life. You've got to release it and ask God to come and to baptize you afresh in his love. That love, that if I've got the Father, if I've got Jesus in me, I can access his love that can make me into a person of real love. And that's what we need in this world. We don't need arrogance. We don't need selfishness. We don't need um, angry opinions. We don't need egos. We don't need self-righteous religious. What we need is, is the love of Christ that is within us to be released in our speech, in our thought, in our action, in our lives. This is why this scripture is so hard, because it's either true or not. I'm either going to be a man of love or I'm not going to be. I know so many people have walked away from the Christian faith because of the lousy examples Christian have shown. Now one young man swearing, saying, F in this and F in that. My dad, you know, he was at church with his Bible and came home and treated my mother like, you know what I'm saying? There's no love there. He just saw hypocrisy. You shall know that I am Christians by what? By love. And Jesus is setting the scene. He's saying, come on. Love this world. Know that I love you. So a servant, when you are with kids in your camp, when you disciple your care group, when you look after people and your friends, let the driving power of your heart be the love of God. When you do ministry, ministers without love are not ministers. We're not a hate movement. We are a people who put on the towel and we get down and we keep loving people. We keep loving people. We keep loving people. And so we need that love. It's interesting that that he knew who he was. It says uh, that it was just before... 
the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas um, to betray him. Jesus knew, verse 3 this is, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Verse 3 is about identity. He knew who he was. He knew his mission. He knew his task. He knew that he'd come from God and would return to God. He knew what he had to do, even though it was going to be the hardest thing, because he would fall into the darkness of being separated from the Father. But he knew his identity. You can only really become a true lover of people and a true servant of Jesus and really serve people if you get this one thing right. This is it. Get your identity in Christ correct. Know that no matter what, God loves you. Know that you are a child of the Lord Know that the identity you have is that you are not an orphan. You haven't got an orphan mentality, but you, your identity is rooted in the fact that there God signed, as it were, in the Lamb's Book of Life, your debt is forgiven, you are loved. I am loved by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You are loved. And when I know I'm really loved... I don't have to argue. I don't have to put on my ego. I don't have anything to prove. I am loved, and therefore I can love others. I am loved, therefore I can love my wife. I am loved, therefore I can love my kids unconditionally. I am loved, therefore I can love the church God has put me in unconditionally. I am loved, so therefore I can love Christians, no matter what a pain in the butt. And believe me, I know a lot of weird Christians. And I can love them. You can love them because of identity. So he got up from the meal. This is the big moment. He got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You won't realize this, perhaps, But this is the greatest, one of the greatest theological explanations of what Jesus has done. If you can grab this verse, you understand the, the, a complex, theological, beautiful message. Let me explain it. Number one, here, I think there's five parts to this verse. First of all, so he took off his outer clothes, there. First of all, we've got to remind ourselves that Jesus Christ was not just washing feet and telling us, hey, wash people's feet. Jesus, this talks of that it, one day in heaven, one day in eternity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus chose to take off the glory of his Godhead and chose to take on humanity 
and chose to come down with not his garments of glory, but came down to become a humble man amongst us. He took off the garments. Secondly, and wrapped the towel around his waist. Secondly, not only choosing to become a human, and as it were, putting on a common soldier's uniform, but then he wrapped a towel around, suggesting that he had come with a job, come for a purpose, come for a mission, come to play a key role. And that role was to, to save us from sin and condemnation. But he was willing to take up the towel, to lay down the throne and take up the towel, to lay down his glory and to take up the cloth and be willing to serve others. Thirdly, he wrapped the towel around his waist and after that he poured water into a basin and began. Look at that little phrase. He poured water into a basin. We've got a basin here. It's full of juice. But this idea that he poured water is so deeply connected to the idea that he was willing to pour himself out for humanity. He was willing to pour himself out for the lepers, for the prostitutes, for the demonacs. He was willing to pour himself out for the needy and for the peasants and for the disciples. He was willing to pour himself out. Eventually, nailed upon a cross, his blood was poured out so that every one of us can be clean. He was poured out. And then he washed his disciples' feet. And you and I have been washed. We've been, we were dirty. We were condemned. But you and I have now been washed. We've been cleaned. We've been forgiven. He washed their disciples' feet. Dried them off with the towel that he wrapped around him. This amazing, beautiful scripture describes Jesus' journey. The journey is that he took off his garments and came from heaven to earth. He chose the mission that God had given him and he put the towel on and he was willing to serve the all of humanity. Through that process, he poured himself into humanity and at the very end, poured his life into salvation by being nailed to the cross. And at the end, every one of them could be washed clean again and every one of us can then carry on with the example that he set us. That's what Jesus did. But I want to change it for a moment and say this. I've discovered that if I'm going on this journey to become a servant, that I have to first of all take off my outer garment. What do I mean by my outer garment? 
If I truly want to be a man of love, if I truly want to be a man of a servant heart, if I truly want to be this person that Jesus tells me that his example I must be, I must take off my outer garment. And you know what? My outer garment is my ego. My outer garment is my selfishness. My outer garment is my flesh. My outer garments are my own selfish desires, my own dark opinions, all that I think is special that gives me identity for me. I need to take that all off and say, here I am, Jesus, fully available to you. I'm willing to lay down all that arrogance. And then I'm willing to take the towel that you have given me to do the mission that God has asked me to do. Every one of you has a towel that God has given you and a job to do and a a way to do it. Every one of you has a calling. Every one of you has a job, whether it's serving at the ark, serving in pursuit, serving in the church, serving in kids' church, serving in the community, working uh, amongst different people, working in your job and your calling and your mission. Every one of you has a towel that God has given you to love and to serve others. But you've got to be willing, like me, to take off your outer garment and to take up the calling and the towel and say, Jesus, I'm ready. You know, those care group kids are hard work, but I'm ready. You know, that youth group, it's tough, but I'm ready. Those kids I teach at school, I'm ready. Those people I work with at work, I'm ready to take the towel and to wash the feet and to make a difference. I'm willing to do this. And so, of course, he got to Simon Peter. And he was like, no, no way. No, I'm not going to let you do this. In fact, it's like, no, you can't do this. I don't want you to be. He got very angry. He got very frustrated. And the Lord put him right on this. And I want to finish. I can't do all this verse for you. But, and Jesus explained about this. And then he put this lovely little end. You call me teacher... And Lord, and rightly so. For this is what I am. That I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. What he's saying is, disciples of Jesus wash other disciples' feet. And that we are called to love and serve one another. And this is the hardest thing. Of course, it's directed at the world to some degree, but it's really directed at the church. That if church works, if marriage works, if family works, if friendship works, we have to follow Jesus' example of being a servant of others. We've got to lay it down. And he uses a little legal phrase here. He says... um, Very, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the master greater than the one who sent me. He says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. What he's actually saying here is, hey, listen, disciples. 
Listen to me. If it's good enough for me to live this way and to serve others and to love others and to care for others and to get off my place of greatness, because in Luke's gospel we know that they were arguing about who's going to be the greatest, and you lay down your greatness and you're willing to serve others, if it's good enough for me the son of the living God, the line of the tribe of Judah, the good shepherd, the creator of heaven and earth, then I am telling you, it's good enough for you to do. That's what he's actually saying. Please, will you now become servants of one another? And it breaks God's heart when church becomes a place of arrogance, a place of opinions, a place of resentment, a place when you can't stand somebody, a place when you criticize people, because that's not what Jesus wanted to model. He wants us to model a servant heart. People leave church all the time because they can't stand people. They do, and they swap churches and get to this church or another church because I can't stand those people. Jesus never said we get the option to leave our family. He said we get the option to get down on our knees and to wash each other's feet. That we let go of bitterness, we let go of resentment, we let go of offense, we let go of our arrogance, and we get down and we wash feet. And at the end of it, He says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed. Not happy, blessed. It's not about happiness, because I'm not always happy doing the things I do, but I am blessed because I do them. Happiness is weak. Happiness is just whatever. But when we do it for Jesus, we are blessed. So maybe what we should do right now is ask ourselves the question, this is true Christianity, to serve one another. Ask yourself the question, am I going to be a servant of love? Am I going to follow the example of the servant of Christ? And am I going to have the courage to do what Jesus Christ asked me to do? Last little point. You won't know this guy. I don't expect you to know him. His name's Samuel Long. He was on his way to become a bishop, a great bishop in the United States. And he was on his way to, um, to in a beautiful church, great pastorate. He wrote many books. And the God grabbed hold of his heart around 1850, actually, same time, in America, and said, I'm going to England, and I'm going to join the Salvation Army. The founder of the Salvation Army, General Booth, wrote back and said, said, Samuel, we don't want you. You are really clever. You are probably really arrogant. You want to be a bishop. Uh, I fear, he said, that your ego is too big for the Salvation Army. And we are a movement that preaches and serves. And we lay everything down. Don't come. Well, Samuel came. And he arrived General Booth looked at him and talked to him. He was surprised to see him. He says, you've given all of that greatness up to come and serve with us. He said, yes. He said, well, the first job I want you to do is to clean every, every black boot in the Salvation Army. 
Samuel wrote, I was shocked. The general said, I've got to clean boots. And he said, I walked away thinking I've come all the way across the Atlantic to clean boots. This is crazy. And Jesus whispered in his ear, and, and Samuel wrote about it. I think he wrote about 100 books. He said, Jesus whispered in the ear, he said, I got down and washed filthy feet. Will you just clean some boots? And he said, yes, Lord. He became the first Salvation Army commissioner for, the United, for, for the North America and became, wow, he was an amazing man. And I think this challenges us to say, yes, Lord, I am willing to once again to be a servant. I'm willing to be poured out. I'm willing to love others. I'm willing to serve. And I'm willing to lose my attitude and be filled with love. Let's stand together. Just where you are, as the guys come back and we have communion, you know that that verse in chapter 17, the Father is in you, Jesus is in you, and that the love that I ha- you have for me and the love that Jesus has for us That love, I pray, he prays, will be in you. That's what Jesus prays. That that love will be in you. So where you are for a moment, and before we move and they start to worship, maybe hold out your hands and ask the Lord to fill you afresh with the heart of a servant. Ask the Lord to baptize you afresh in love. Confess your outer garment if it's arrogance or your education or your wealth or all that you have. Have you forgotten the life of a servant to be filled, to be filled? be filled a servant God is calling you to be a servant and if it's good enough for the master it's good enough for you Holy Spirit may this love to serve others to serve others come and fill us Lord come Lord May there's people that you have been mean to, you have criticised, you have not been a servant to, you've not been a good brother and a good sister to, you know you've hurt them. This scripture teaches us to take up the towel. In Luke 24 it says, and they argued amongst themselves at this table who would be the greatest. And Jesus says, stop. Arguing about greatness and start to pick up the towel. Come, Lord.